I'm here with Reverend Phil. Wait, who are you? My name's Josh. Oh, hi, Josh. Josh from, uh, well, from Bomb Shelter Radio right now. <laughs> I'm glad to have you here. It's funny um, having vagabonds around. I mean, being one myself, it's interesting sitting in a room with one who just kind of rolled into town. Um, but, uh, well, let's just start off. Let's, let's, uh, let me just tell her, tell us why you're in town right now. So I travel with the tour, a film festival. Uh, it's called Bike Smut. Different people made short movies about the joy and liberation of human-powered transportation and sex-positive culture. My duty is to travel around with these films because we don't put them online. There's no DVDs. The program itself is only way it's visible is at these screenings. They're usually pretty intimate gatherings of adults who want to enjoy and appreciate the differences in how we get around. Oh, cool. Um, and what... I'm just curious, uh, what what kind of inspired this? Was there was there some sort of a... Well, have you ever, you know, ridden a bike? Oh, yeah. How's that feel? It feels pretty good. Have you ever had sex? Yeah. How's that feel? It feels pretty good. It's like the peanut butter and chocolate of our generation. <laughs> they go together, huh? Two great tastes. Yeah. You don't have to have them together, but I mean, when you think to things that are going to emancipate, you know... Mm-hmm things that are going to cause elation. It's hard to top the sensation of your own like freedom when you're like, I can go anywhere. Yeah. And, you know, if you learn how to masturbate and that feels pretty good, and you're like, man, I can do this whenever I want pretty much. And, like, well, <laughs> it, like, and that sometimes happens to people, you know, later in life than we'd like to admit. Yeah. I was I last time I was interviewed was in Boston about a month ago. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell a story about how this gal it's my favorite story. She she uh I was playing Foursquare passing out flyers for a show in Oakland. And this gal uh when I gave her a flyer she's like she's like, "Oh, I know about you." <laughs> and then she kind of saunters off and I'm like, "Okay, that's probably good." Yeah. You know. And then about a half hour later, I've given out my flyers and I'm packing up about to leave and she kind of strolls up uh more intoxicated visually more intoxicated mm-hmm. and she's like so i gotta tell you something that i never told anyone before but it's important i never gave myself permission to touch myself oh my goodness and this movie this film by Miss Poppycox called uh, Pedal to Pleasure, where she wakes up in the morning and she's dreaming of riding her bike and she looks so beautiful. And then she starts uh, kind of, she's touching herself a little bit and then she like looks over at her lover, who happens to be me, <laughs> and she tries to rouse me and, and I'm like, fall and roll over and I'm like still asleep. Yeah. And so she gets out of bed, makes herself up, goes on this awesome ride through the, through the uh, uh, Grecian countryside and finds a really like, secluded spot underneath the tree and the country road and no one's around and she like kicks off her shoes and lanes back and and the music picks up and my god she has the best time you know because she's like touching her body the way she likes to be touched Mm -hmm. and you know it's all very graphic and it shows a woman giving herself the power Mm -hmm. to achieve her own sexual satisfaction yeah which a lot of women are trained that they're genitals are nasty things and only 
you know, the only a, a, a brave male with a big dick can like properly slay that monster of a cunt that you have down there. So don't be touching that shit. It's dirty, and wow. you know, and so that stuff is still happening. Yeah, and she was one of the victims of that kind of education. And then you, as she's telling me the story about how, and now I can. I can touch myself and I feel really great. And you can see, like, the, like she before, she was a little bit, like, a little kind of, her, her shoulders were slumped, but now she's, like, standing up prouder and she's, like, like as her, the words are coming out of her mouth, she's having this revelation all over again of how great it is that she's had this, this experience in her life and how much it's changed her. And I'm like, this is amazing. I'm telling this lady, wow, that's the most incredible story it's ever been. I mean, thank you. You gotta tell Miss Poppycocks because she wrote and directed and started. And she, you know, she's the reason all that happened. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I couldn't talk to her. <laughs> and she runs off just delightfully giggling, giggling. And, you know, she's like in her like mid thirties, right? Wow. Right. That's kind of a late, late time to discover that. But the thing is, is tons of people never do yeah. because they're never given. Mm-hmm. permission and they don't feel like they can claim that for themselves mm-hmm. and so that's why i'm talking about emancipation of your mobility and your sexuality yeah like man that's a life changer and it's totally about autonomy yeah. when you control when you go and where you go and how you go you feel like you are empowered to make those choices and you can live the life that you want to live not on, on anyone else's terms wow that's so interesting i mean i, I think that yeah there there is something like kind of a uh, yeah, I mean, I guess there's always sort of a sexual revolution happening in this country. Um, we were talking a little bit about last night about relationships and sort of like the way that works. What is your stance on um, monogamy or sort of like the changing face of, uh, of I don't know, like kind of Americans' lo- love affair with that? <laughs> well, I mean, we had this kind of idea that monogamy was necessary for kind of uh, for child rearing mm-hmm. and that this was this ideal and that, that it was something that we could work towards and there's been a lot of different information that's come out uh, this book um, Sex at Dawn mm-hmm. has done a lot to change people's ideas about like biologically what are our, what, what are our predisposition towards and, and what are the values and challenges of monogamy or polyamory or any of the other flavors that come in between like, you know, all these different ways of expressing your sexuality. I mean, I think, like I said before, the important thing is for the individual to feel that they have the right to make the choice that works for them. Yeah. You know, it, we shouldn't look at this as being like, this is right and this is wrong. You know, definitely open relationships are great for people who can make them work and who do the work to make them work. Right. You know, it's really, it sounds really good, but it's plenty of work, mm-hmm. you know. And if you're doing it right, then it's it's good work, but it still needs to be done. And if you're doing it wrong, then God, you're probably a fuck off of a person anyway. Yeah. But, you know, but these things are lessons that everyone's got to learn, right? And you know, plenty of people in monogamy are fuck offs too, right? Yeah. But the uh, the idea that we all should have the same form of relationship is as absurd as this idea that we should have the same kind of sex, or like we right. should all be homo or hetero or any, or any sex at all. I mean, I, I like to, when I'm on stage, I'm like, you know, talk about the fact that even if you're asexual, that's a form of sexuality and that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not here, we're not, specifically not here to judge. 
And that's what I mean by sex positive. I, this is another term. I, it's good to define your terms, right? And that's one that can be a little confusing at times. It doesn't necessarily mean that you, I encourage everyone to have sex all the time. It means that I want people to not shame each other for their body types or their preferences. And that I want them to use consensual language as much as they possibly can and encourage others to do so as well. And to, to, be to get enthusiastic consent rather than like, Mm. Yeah, it's not so sexy. Yeah, yeah. You know, like let's have let's have a little more like, like, thrilled, gl glorious moments of like, uh, passion rather yeah. than just like, well, I guess we'll do. Yeah. Like, ugh. Ugh. gross. Yeah, you want things to be a little feel a little more natural and intense. I, I hear you. And I, I agree. And it's and it's the, the 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 tough with that thing is like yeah, natural and intense and. Getting consent feels awkward in that moment, mm -hmm. but there are cr creative ways to work it in, you know. And if they're really, you know, if they're really excited about it, people will that will go, oh well, that's thank you for asking, you know. Mm -hmm. And so everyone's got a different point at which they would like to receive consent. Some people want to get it before they kiss. Some people want to get before they fuck. Some people before, you know, you know, let's before we before we finish the snuff film, you know. <laughs> oh jeez. Right? I mean, everyone's got a different point at which, you know, can I hold your hand? Seems a little absurd, but then, hey, you know, everyone's got a different point. And I and I and again, I'm not trying to say that everyone has to be doing this all the time, but I think we we all benefit from the more that this is normalized. When yeah. we see behavior like this happening, then we don't feel as awkward when we utilize it ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then things like rape are less likely to happen because people were actively engaging with each other and learning, you know, what their real desires are. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that's, um, you know, there's a condition we live under where th what we think is, is we're supposed to be like and then how we actually define ourselves is they're kind of kind of different things absolutely and um, it's, it's not and it's you know it's not like anyone's perfect but you just try and like make it better you know a little bit by a little bit by you can so how long have you been on the road now well uh, uh i haven't paid rent for a few years wow i mean like that i was i was living in the bay in oakland three or four years ago mm-hmm right Wow, and then since then you've just been out kind of in the world? Yeah, I mean, it it, it makes sense uh, in a way. You know, keeping a home while you're traveling is really expensive. Yeah. Uh, paying rent and all that. And I'm, you know, I, 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 the reason, part of the reason why I'm able to do this, you know, it doesn't make a lot of money. Yeah. Because I'm not making DVDs and selling them. And so, and I'm not sharing stuff online and linking to, like, like websites where I could get lots of passive income, mm -hmm. and so to to make money you have to travel, and traveling is expensive. And finding ways to make it cheaper, you know, is real real necessary for me to be able to continue doing it. Yeah. I have been doing this thing lately where I'm doing fewer shows. I think um, in my third year, this the second just the second tour of the two tours we did. The second tour called the Whiplash Tour. We did uh, 63 shows in 100 days and went 10,000 miles. Wow. Right. It's like rock and roll. Man, that was a lot of fucking miles. Yeah. You know, like all the way down the West Coast, all the way 
like to Sarasota, which is like across from Miami, mm-hmm. up to Montreal and up to Edmonton. And Edmonton's way the fuck north. Yeah. And so I'm like, I did a lot of these shows on spec because I realized that I had really important, powerful work, and I wanted to try and see if I could seed these this idea in more places about how to like create their own uh, sexuality to own their own sexuality through the through the art form of, of film where people are actually gathering to watch it and appreciate it yeah. it's really this romantic ideal mm-hmm. and uh, since then I've you know I've been more choosy and I've you know said listen I can't travel quite that much anymore uh, last year I did a whole tour for an entire year and I, and I pretty much just rode my bicycle Wow. I rode from Minneapolis to Montreal to Mexico and then six months around Europe and down the West Coast. Oh my gosh. 15,000 kilometers. Wow. That's amazing. This was great. Um, I did a a fair share of like long distance cycling. Nothing like what you've sort of embarked on. Hmm. Um, But what I learned from it, I mean, I got really skinny because of it, you know. But I also, I don't know, there's a sort of meditative quality to it um, that, that I that I found really sort of beneficial. Um, has that, I don't know, like touring that way, has it, has it sort of transformed you or has it informed you? Oh, I mean, I'm sure I've been changed in ways that I don't even realize. You know, when you're in living the life, you don't even realize how far you've come sometimes. Yeah. You know, so I'll see people that I've not seen and couple years or something like that like oh you know and I I still feel like I'm a pretty joyous individual Mm -hmm. but you know I'm also trying to be a little more uh, you know easygoing about things when I first started this I felt like I have to I you know I have to try and do this work as hard as I can yeah and now I'm giving myself permission to be like hey I can take it easy yeah like if I have a great show because I bust ass or if, you know and that, that's the thing is inventing is a fucking bitch goddess yeah. like she will crush you so hard and sometimes you feel like you're on top of the world and you know and the thing is like I can work hard and have a great show work hard to have a crappy show I can kind of fuck off and have a crappy show or a great show and so you feel like a lot of times there's not not a connection between one's actions and the results which makes it really difficult to want to do the legwork that you know kind of need to do. But yeah, and so that's why I don't put too much stock in any one, given one show. I just do the best I can and move on. Mm. And it's like I'm trying to keep the long view because I don't want to just like a lot of great projects. You know, you have leaders who pretty, pretty much they they make themselves go crazy and then they just stop mm-hmm. and they don't they don't leave uh, a way for things to continue. And hmm. as I go on, I'm like, I want to make sure that I don't burn out. Yeah. You know, I want to make sure that I that I keep a bright uh, light that's going for the right amount of time. Wow. <sighs> anyway, what, where where did you bike tour around to? Oh, I didn't really tour. I mean, I was I was you know I grew up in San Francisco and I had a, a few friends. We would uh, ride ride Mount Tamalpais and you know we'd do like eighty mile rides. Like yeah, two or three times a week, and um, yeah, it's just it was great. Like I think there was something really special about seeing the landscape change around you. You know, uh, going from like city to to the woods, you know, and then back again. And um, I don't know. It 
it definitely like marked a point in time in my life where I was frustrated too. You know, I felt a little bit like uh, that I needed an outlet like that. You know, I think I was very active. Oh, this is I'm talking too much now, but. I mean, I was very active in the city, like politics, anti-gentrification stuff. There's no shortage of that needed. In, I mean, that's a big issue. In, yeah. In places wherever there's a lot of money, mm-hmm. you're going to have a lot of gentrification. Yeah. And the Bay has been suffering from that kind of bullshit for a long time. Yeah, totally. And so. um, I think that, yeah, cycling was a sort of way to, I don't know, blow off steam or whatever, mm-hmm. or sort of refocus my energy. Yeah. Um, so in a lot of ways, you could say that's what sex is, too. It's a release valve, you know? Mm-hmm. You can understand some why some people get so hooked on biking or, I don't know. Yeah. Or sex. I mean, they're, they're both great things to do with your body. Yeah. They don't cost a whole lot of money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And people around you generally benefit from you doing it. Yeah. You know, like, if you're having sex with them, they... They're probably pretty stoked about it, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, and but even if you know, the community itself was is going to benefit mm-hmm. from like you know, people who are visibly using bikes because bikes are you know they're 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 a really beautiful form of transportation for lots of reasons. You know, it, cre- it, it improves your health, it makes streets safer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and and you know you don't you don't have to get a parking space. You know, yeah. like all there's tons of little ways that you don't think about necessarily, but they're they all have a significant impact. And when people can have healthy sexual practices, then boy, that's that's pretty nice for the community too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's. Uh, I'm curious. How did you? I mean, this might be a broad question, but how did you grow up? Is there a way that you could describe that? Hmm. Many ways. I mean. Are you inquiring as to like my parents' like political ideology or? Yeah, maybe. I guess maybe. How would you identify? Like when you were fifteen years old, like how did you identify? Agnostic. Agnostic. I recently had changed from being an atheist once I realized that it was that I was like, oh, well, I really don't know. I would, I would believe there's not a god, but then I, you know, mm. and so I, I became an agnostic. I haven't really changed since. Oh yeah. Yeah. Do do we you? Um, politicized at a young age? Uh, not a super young age. I mean, I understood that politics were out there. My, my parents were, were pretty, you know, uh, aware politically. They would watch McNeil News Hour and all these, you know, public broadcasting mm-hmm. style shows. and Those were all fine. I, it was, but it was a, a lot of it was beyond me. I didn't really appreciate it. It wasn't until, actually, I was in college when um, I got a piece of pa- paper in the mail. I mean, I, I was aware of the voting things, and I was like, okay, I guess I'll vote. And I learned about the issues, and I was like, okay, well, that seems all fair enough. Because in mm-hmm. Oregon, you get a vote by mail, oh. which is so nice. Yeah. Everyone should get vote by mail. It lowers the possibility for fraud by a considerable amount. You don't have to have, uh, you, can, you can do really easy checks. Uh, the system, the Diebold, whatever systems that, that they're using for machines, that you know they're t- they're very corrupt. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the they are entirely funded by major political parties. You know, the Republican and Democrat. like they're they're giving money to those systems, and then they keep a closed source information. So it's actually you. There's no way to check their results at all. Yeah. It's a horrible situation. Why would you ever choose to have that? Whereas you can have a totally open, transparent thing. You don't have to even know. Who voted for what? But you can say you can you can count the number of yeses and noes, and it's actually 
really awesome. And you don't, and you can vote whenever you want. You get the ma ballot like you know a month in advance or something, and you mm -hmm. can talk amongst your friends. You can mail it out the same day, or you can wait until the last day, and you can take it down to the polling place and talk with people there. And people sometimes do it just to engage, you know, random neighbors that are into the politics. Yeah. And so I learned about it a little bit, and I was like, well, I guess now I'm a voter. I'll do my vote. And then I got a piece of propaganda in the mail from the Catholic Church saying that our new uh, voter initiative called uh, Death with Dignity, where if you were terminally ill, you could choose to end your life in a, on your terms, huh. which I was like, this is a real important thing. I'm going to vote for this because clearly people who are suffering and want to die shouldn't have to live just because we can make them live. Yeah. But that's the current nature of healthcare systems, that we're focused entirely on a quantity of life right. rather than a quality of life. Right. And so you have people... That, a friend of mine, in one of my organizers in uh, Tucson, her mom is specifically does hospice. And they, she was saying that like presently that end-of-life care is accounting for like something like 80 or more percent of total healthcare costs. Wow. Because it becomes so incredibly expensive because you're putting people on ICUs and you're just trying to keep them alive as long as humanly possible, even though they're, you know, they're not enjoying their life. They might yeah. not even be able to express their displeasure in being there. Mm -hmm. And there's, no one's having, we, we have such an unhealthy relationship with death yeah. that we can't accept that as a part of, a part of life and so we can't just be like, well, let's have a graceful death. And it, it's, fuck all. And, and when I got this piece of paper saying, you know, there's this young kid named Billy, you know, he's been diagnosed terminally ill, so he decides to take his own life. And I'm like, but this is all bullshit. There's like, the measure definitely has like multiple checks on it. You have to have uh, two different doctors do independent evaluations and a psychological evaluation. And, you know, I'm sorry, but if you're like 16 years old and you found that you have terminally ill, you probably don't want to kill yourself. Right. You probably want to live all the fucking time. Yeah. And the whole idea that like little Billy is going to want to kill himself and therefore we shouldn't have this law is so absurd and annoying. And I'm like, they're lying to me in the public mail. Yeah. What? The, how is this allowed? This, this can't be. You can't just lie. You can't blatantly lie <laughs> using the post office to lie. These are, that's, that's wrong. And, <laughs> and from that point on, I was like, pissed off at the world yeah yeah i hear you what about um it just makes me think of uh about age you know i think uh what's your view on like age in this country well we, we're pretty ageist in many ways yeah i mean lately i've been looking at it from uh from my view i mean i'm, I'm i was born in 1977 so mm -hmm. you know middle-aged i guess now yeah and i can see how it you know I've done fairly well for like, you know, because I've become more confident and more comfortable with myself as I've got older. And, but I see like, you know, a lot of people who peak in high school, you know, or whatever, mm -hmm. like they don't always so, you know, like they, they are, you know, there's a lot of focus on youth culture yeah. to the detriment of all these ideas that are like, you know, that are existing in people who are mature. Yeah. And no one's listening to grandpa because, oh, grandpa, you're crazy old ideas. You don't even know how to use an iPad, you know. Right, right. And it's like, what? he knows how to tan your hide. Yeah. Yeah, that's true, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's a little different, man. Yeah, I know. it's funny. Like, uh, I was in Italy a couple years ago, and, um, you know, like, uh, the I was told that, like, Italians view mature women uh, uh, a lot better, you know, like, uh, as far as, like, women can stay sexy longer, 
Mm. That's what they're told. Like, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, of course, it just depends on the individual. But, like, culturally, I think that's very interesting. That, like, a woman who's pushing 60 years old in Italy is still considered, like, very, you know, right. sexually active and, like, um, sought after. Right. And in this country, I don't see... It's not. It's more um, rare. We are really obsessed with, with youth to the detriment of... You know, and because young people aren't sexy because they don't know. Yeah. They aren't, they aren't aware. If they're really young, then they're usually really ignorant. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, un, un, you know, they, you can't, you don't gain that kind of, like, mature sexiness until you have lived for a little while. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, for the most part. And yeah. so, like, just because you happen to be, you know, you have an attractive body, it's like, well, that's, that's great, but, like. And at the same time, I don't want to dissuade people. You know, I, I, I think there's a lot of, there are a lot of really intelligent young people who can't be given a, a fair shake. You know, I, it took a, a lot of effort to be able to say, well, listen, you know, if you're young enough to go to war, then you're probably young enough to vote. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, I don't know why there necessarily needs to be a lower low end on voting age. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I mean, we should get, we should train people to be, in the civical civic society as early as possible yeah i mean i think that young people have a right to say like to say well you know we don't want these things yeah and uh so yeah i think ageism sucks in all sorts of ways and in in our society i'm i'm sure it's i mean i i was in italy not that long ago myself and i i didn't actually Take uh, take account of that, mm-hmm. but I'll uh, I'll inquire amongst yeah, my yeah. people. Check it out; it's real interesting. Um, so, what about romance? What's going on with you? Do you have any? Do you want to share any of that? I have some really amazing lovers. I can't lie. I I am consistently impressed with um, how fortunate I am to be able to keep excellent people in my life because I, fe- I feel like, like you know the time I spend with them you know besides the sex which is great just being the intimacy of being able to relate to someone and to feel like you know if I'm having a rough day I can call a friend and you know it's really hard for me when I'm traveling because I don't have a normal people around me you know and the FaceTime is a little bit difficult yeah. and uh, so having you know people in my life who I'm like this person is great and I I want to see them again, and I do see them again. And we'll figure out the schedule, and we make this stuff happen. If they're traveling or I'm traveling, we can make that work. That makes me feel like what I'm doing is possible because otherwise, I think it would just be very uh, random and isolating. Yeah. You know, because maybe they'll have sweet hookups, but like, what will it mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever feel lonely out there? Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah I mean, you know, it happens, but like. Sometimes you come into a place, I, like I, I was just in Kansas City, and I'd never met any of the people who were there before, not a single one of them. And one, one person who was like the organizer had been working on bringing me in for like two years. Mm-hmm. He's like, this is a really cool idea, and I want to come down. I'm like, Kansas City? Jesus. Uh, well, I'm about to start this, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not able to do it this year, and next year I'm going to bike tour, and I'm not going to be bike touring anywhere nearby Kansas City, but maybe the year after that we can talk. And so... Okay, and sure enough, like had all the pieces lined up and had tons of really like 
had been talking to her friends and getting buy-in and, 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 and exploring the ideals on their own time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so nice. It's like uh, when people actually take time to investigate that bike smut is what you make it. You know, that, that it's their culture to, to investi- invest their own time in. That feels really empowering for me because that means like I get a little glimpse of like the birth of a culture in a way, mm-hmm. and it feels great. Alternatively, if I show up and they're like, "Okay, now dance, monkey," I'm mm-hmm. like, uh, "Yeah, all right. Well, here's a show, and here's some movies, and here's a song, and I hope you guys had it. Thank you for giving me some money. You know, <laughs> it's it's okay, but it's like I'm not TV." Yeah. And so that becomes very alienating when people kind of just like, you know, go, okay, well, you do your thing. And I'm like, well, I sent you information that yeah. anyone bothered to read. I'm like, yeah, I know, it's work. Yeah, Reading yeah. is work, right? Yeah, you know? that's true. And then asking people to actually think about what their own desires are, that's also work. Mm-hmm. We're all so used to being kind of spoon-fed sexuality. Yeah. I have this way of describing porn as being kind of like... Uh, formula for babies yeah you know because it doesn't take any work you can just sit down and just have a spoonful of it and it's like sure it does its job real fast <laughs> you know it will give you the what you need to in order to like sustain yourself but it's not very complex yeah and it's not going to challenge you ever it's not going to be like well what's this flavor about mm-hmm. you're not going to have that moment of uh, feeling of like, wow, I learned something new about my own preferences. Yeah, and you only get that when you put yourself out there, when you make yourself a little vulnerable, and you try something different, and you go, well, maybe I'll like this. Yeah, and w- we can't do that, you know. Like if you set, I've I've been showing. Uh, last year, I had a spectacular gay porn that was in the program. Uh, this filmmaker called Creamy Coconut, and uh, worked with Bike Smut and. Um, a couple of really amazing performers, Sebastian Keys was in there, and, uh, oh shit, I forgot his name. Damn it, the other director. It'll come to me later. Anyway, we had a really, really nice collaboration, because we hadn't ever seen anyone make, we had lots of, of gay women, lesbians and queers, submitting films, but not very many guys. Yeah. And I was surprised by that, I'm like, okay, we should get some more dick in there, I guess, huh? Well, let's, let's, you know... Yeah, let's you know let, let's express you know we, we, we need if we're not getting submissions then we need to create something of certain value so I like I knew a place and my friends had an idea and they worked on a script and they did an amazing job Quinn Cassidy is the other mm-hmm. director he fabulous God beautiful human being and he had his boyfriend actually play the sub in a movie and they had the most amazing sex I mean it almost doesn't seem possible how great a time they had you know they had two cameras and they just did one shot and it was like okay a lot of editing and make it happen and boom it's like wow. it won <laughs> it was part of other festivals it won awards all over the place uh this Cinekink is out of new york and they do a, a small tour of like i think six eight ten cities a year and they put on really big weekends but not very many but they they were like this is like this won the prime like bring it award you know for like the most interesting sex and like and so it's like really fulfilling and for the audience members who were at that show I was routinely had 
straight guys come up to me afterwards and thank me because they had never given themselves permission to watch gay porn before. Hmm. And why would they? It's like, yeah. he's like, oh, that's gay porn. I click off it. You just, you naturally, you're like, oh, that, that's two guys? What? That's not what I'm into. Mm-hmm. You know, that, what, that's not for me. So I'll click away. And when you have the mouse in your hand, you feel obligated to use it. It's a very different scenario when you sit down in a cinema where you don't have control. Yeah. Suddenly, you can sit there and watch it, or you can close your eyes, or you can get out. But will you? I mean, you, you, you can make those choices. You're, you're allowed to leave, but, like, can you not handle it? Yeah. That's going to say you're, you're going to have that check on yourself. And you're like, well, okay, I'm, it's happening. I'm watching it. Yeah. And they watch it, and they come back and like, wow, it looked like they had a really great time. Yeah, yeah. Like, the sex they had was really good. They were, it's not the way maybe they had envisioned, you know, gay sex to be, or who knows but mm-hmm. they come up to me afterwards and they're just delighted that a they feel they feel like they've been through something kind of unique for themselves yeah. right they changed their lives and they don't have that same kind of like i don't know how to describe it like there's like a a, a barrier in their mind mm-hmm. they hadn't allowed themselves to do that now they can go oh well, yeah i watched some gay sex yeah no big deal it was <laughs> really fun yeah yeah, it's interesting how that happens. I uh, I'll just share a brief story. Like I, please, when I was in, uh, I first moved to San Francisco. I had a friend, um, Danny, who well Danielle at the time, but now she's um, like um, transgender, mm-hmm. so now it's Dan. Yeah. Um, and uh, but Danny uh, hired me uh, to work for Theater Rhinoceros, and I was the stage manager, prop guy, sound guy, lighting guy, cool. everything. Uh, for uh, a show called um, Ten Naked Men. And for me, I was just like 20, and it was the first time that I had really like sort of had that sort of engagement that you're talking about, you know. Right. And uh, uh, who was the director's name? I feel his name was like Ronnie Larson, if that's if it's coming to me. He was this kind of guy that would write, direct, act, in just a powerhouse of a director. And um, it was like so eye-opening for me to be like, Oh, like that's what it looks like to for men to suck dick, you know, or like whatever, and just like be involved professionally in it a little bit, you know. It was kind of neat. Yeah. It was like really like it kind of helped break sort of this, like you said earlier, this sort of barrier, this obstacle you put um, up on yourself, you know. And ultimately, like I think that really is sort of what sexuality, you know, or where our hang-ups come from is they're just they're just blockages that we put up for ourselves right or the way we're conditioned right and it's like we're all trained to watch lesbians make out yeah so why is it okay in one way not in another yeah right you know Mm -hmm. I think that's the other thing too you know that changing face of maybe I don't know like you know, the, the queer thing is huge in San Francisco, and it's really part of the punk movement. Now, I guess it's always been, but now more than ever, I feel like it's really takes front and center. Um, and then, you know, I'm Gen X, so for me, like, as a young punk, like, that never was really part of um, sort of my conditioning. And it's taken a while to realize that, oh, yeah, like, queer is actually pretty fucking awesome because it acknowledges that there is a patriarchy that's around us and there's a like, you know, this kind of spoon feeding that happens. And if you can sort of let go of some of these ties of um, gender and, I don't know, 
you know sexual identity sexual identity preferences and things yeah and maybe that can sort of help change you know this like sort of capitalist system that we that's so oppressive absolutely i mean if you look on relationships as being well okay now i go i get a get a partner of the opposite sex and then I, if I like them, marry them, and have babies, and make a, get a house, and like it's like okay, those are all fine if that's what you really want. Mm-hmm. But if you've never considered what you really want, and you're just doing it because you feel like that's that, that's the only option. Mm-hmm. Then you really should take a moment, and and you know, you live in a society that's that you do have a lot of choice. Yeah, I mean, we have the the tyranny of choice. Even so many options that you it almost can be terrifying. Right. But let's take a moment to like actually explore what it is the fuck that we actually want mm-hmm. yeah that's good yeah I, I really like queer culture and I was recently uh, at a festival called Pornotopia in Albuquerque there's a uh, sex positive uh, uh, sex toy shop down there called uh, Self Serve mm-hmm. cool they are really great Oh my god. These these gals just kick a lot of ass and um they do lots of workshops and things and they've been kind of like having to fight the city for a long time to have this festival because they wanted to do like okay, we'll we'll do a film festival to help, you know, for all the reasons why you want to do a film festival. Mm-hmm. And they did it on on a, a really a, a nice variety of sexualities. They did a really good job of curating it over the years. And for the past like 3 years no, we did a show there in a third, our third year, and so for the past five years they haven't been able to do anything mm-hmm. because the city came in and said, "Well, this is not appropriate. It's not zoned. For, you know, there's, it's not a red light district. Like there are no red light districts. Yeah, it's like this this theater is not a porno theater. Like, well, there are no porno theaters. There is nowhere you could do this show. And they're like, that's right. And so they shut the whole thing down, and they would be fucked except for that. The, there was a couple students, law students, and they were like. Oh yeah, we want to be part of the ACLU, and this seems like a good cause. Yeah, because we were enjoying the show, and the fact that you assholes shut it down seems like bullshit. So they have been in legal battle for the past past five years, and they come out of that like finally victorious, right? And it's it's so nice to have uh, a, a a great smattering, and then we and they they take really good care of me. They brought us in and have a really good show. Hmm. Oh, damn it, I'm lost. Where was that? <laughs> oh, and so one of the programs I saw there was, um, I can't remember his name, it was hosted by the um, Basement Cinema, which is like they're kind of uh, where they, they, they do a lot of actual film strip archival stuff. And the guys are presenting it and they're saying, here's a couple of films from this uh, kind of how you say, very uh, uh, perpetually, cre- uh, this artist who's perpetually creating more art. And uh, one of the phrases that he says that, that the history of experimental cinema or is the, is the history of queer cinema. Mm-hmm. And the two really aren't that separate at all. Yeah. And I, and I hadn't considered that. And, and the more I looked into it, the more I was like, wow, that's so true, though. <laughs> and so for whatever reason, you know, it took being able to divest some degree of your normalcy of gender and sexual preference and and willingness to accept labels to, in order to get into the mindset of 
what it means to be making experimental movies. Yeah. Which I think is just a fantastic idea. And I'm not even expressing it that well, but yeah. I just... I, and, then, and then, as it turns out, I was in the Southwest, and I met the guy. Really? She just, like, happened to be coming in and visiting a friend who I was staying with. And I'm like, wait, what an amazingly small mm-hmm. circles. And this person did an amazing film. He was... They, he would do all these mashups. He did one where he, he went to the, the National or International AIDS Conference where they have all the different nonprofits talking about, you know, what they're doing for different stuff. So he's filming Bill Clinton. He's in the front row and he's filming Bill Clinton talk. And then he starts splitting the screen. He's got this other film that he shoots at the same conference, like earlier or later, where he goes in, picks up this guy, and like gives him a blowjob in the bathroom. <laughs> and so it's like, whoa, yeah, that's yeah, great. But he's like, you know, you don't wouldn't normally try to juxtapose Bill Clinton talking about the importance of dealing with AIDS on a global level with you sucking dick necessarily, you know, with a random dude in a, you know, in a bathroom in the basement of said festival. But, yeah. but I was like, wow, that's crazy. I loved it. I had tons of movies, and I, I, I'm sorry I can't come up with his name. Wow. But so you're in Memphis. Is this your first time in Memphis? Third. Third time. Yeah, we've always done it at the five and one, mm-hmm. and did it at their first place. And now they had their new spot on Broad, and it's gonna be it's gonna be real fun, I think. Cool. And what time is that tonight? Uh, nine o'clock. Nine o'clock. Cool. Yeah, we're. Well, I'm excited we're to to come see it, check it out, and get to know get to know everybody better. Um, I guess we should finish this up. We've been talking about 40, 40 minutes or so. Um, <laughs> oh shit, spider! I know he's all like hanging um, down on me. Um, so yeah, I guess bringing it back to Memphis, um, I, I'm just curious, um, how is, like, being a traveler and, um, you know, seeing a lot of places and sort of being from nowhere probably at this point, um, what's your, what's your view of Memphis? How do you feel about it? Right now it's pretty muggy, (laughs) but I'm happy not to get mugged. Yeah. I I don't, I've been, uh, told a few different things about Memphis. I have friends that are from here that moved, and one of these phrases, you know, like, people don't give a fuck. Yeah. I feel like I hear that phrase a bit, <laughs> and often in related to transportation. You know, I was in a car, and my friend was picked me up. I picked, took the bus now, right? I'm riding the bus a lot, and he picked me up from the bus station, and uh, the person was crossing the street, like, in the middle of, like, a six-lane highway or whatever, mm-hmm. just kind of randomly, and not... Like, you would cross it when you see cars going 40, 50 miles an hour. You would, like, okay, cross the street, but get to safety. Kind of just, like, dragging his heels and moving at a really shallow angle. So it was going to take him, like, yeah. a couple, like, two, five minutes to cross the street. <laughs> and I'm, like, and the, the driver was just blabbing at me. And I'm, like, uh, dude. Yeah, hello. Wait, uh, wait look, you see that? Yeah. <laughs> Shabbling mound in front of you? <laughs> he's, like, oh, shit. Oh, wow. And he's, like, yep, Memphis don't give a fuck. <laughs> Well, on that note, um, it's been a pleasure talking to you, man. Thanks. Um, yeah, come out tonight. You can you can give all the fucks you want. I will. <laughs> I give all the fucks. <laughs> it's all really right, nice man. talking to you too. Nice talking to you, and um, we'll see you down the road somewhere. That'd be great. All right. <laughs>